Hey, Will. Hey, John. What did you uh, watch this weekend? Oh, uh, well, I watched this new thing on my phone. On your phone? But how? Well, John, there's this thing on phones that lets you watch the best stuff. The best stuff? Wow, Will, tell me more. Okay, well, you can now watch the latest show starring Anna Kendrick. But Will, Anna Kendrick has a show on every streaming service. That's true, but unlike those award-winning crowd-pleasing shows, this one comes in little bite-sized episodes, so you can watch a few minutes on the couch, then another episode at dinner table around supper, then maybe you go to the porch and squeeze in another episode there, too. Oh, now I think I'm starting to get it. Gosh, Will, where can I find this space-age app on the cusp of innovation? I need to know what it is and how. Well, John, it's called Kwaibai, and you can find it on all the major smartphone operating systems. Kwaibai? Kwaibai. It means quite a buy. Quite a buy. Wait a minute, Will Ashton. Does this newfangled app cost money? It, it sure does, John. That's how you know you're paying for quality. I don't know, Will. If it's bite-sized content, then shouldn't that mean my payments are bite-sized too? John, what are you doing? This isn't in the script. I'm just saying, Will. I don't know if this app of yours makes a lot of business sense. (laughs) Oh, John, you're being hysterical again. As our founder, Big Business, would say after wrapping production on the latest Shrek movie, shut up and stick to the ad read the lawyers provided. Sounds great, Will. I'll take two Kwaibais. Calm down, John. You're scaring me again. You can share just one Kwai Bai with the whole family. Kwai Bai, a faster way to waste your time. Now available for about three more weeks of it. Welcome once again to Cinemaholics. I'm John Negroni. I am the box office columnist for Adam Tickets, staff writer for the young folks and head writer of Cinemaholics.com. But enough about me. He's a pop culture writer for Cinema Blend. How interesting. And he also reviews films for Cinemaholics.com. Hey, Washington. Hey, John. Will, we have a special guest here for the first time on the main show. Are you excited? I am. The first time? Well, the first time on the main show. I guess so. Yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah, Yeah. I didn't think about that. Yeah, I got to review the tape. Um, Okay, she's all the way... (laughs) from Film School Rejects, and she also contributes to Cinemaholics as well. Great to have you here, Emily Kubankanik. Hi guys, thanks for having me. We're so glad you're here. I'm sorry I always pronounce your last name incorrectly. Um, You can go ahead and pronounce it correctly now. And uh, tell the listeners, what are you up to these days? Are you working on anything fun? It's Kubankanik, and I am just writing for Film School Rejects. my column origin stories should be out um, this week and it's talking about uh, topics that are going on in the film industry right now and tracing them back into film history. Righteous. And one of these days I will totally get your last name correctly. I'm so sorry. It's very embarrassing. But uh, <laughs> yeah. And you were on our extra milestone a couple weeks back for Rebecca and Latrue. That was a lot of fun. And speaking of which, we just have one off topics this week. Just want to let you all know, we have an extra milestone out right now. And Sam Noland, our esteemed Cinemaholics extra milestone host, talked about the Grapes of Wrath, Terror of Mecha Godzilla, and How to Train Your Dragon with Adonis Gonzalez, who's been on the show before. Great episode. And our first 21st century milestone, which, Will, I know you're, you're probably pretty sad it wasn't Avatar. I don't know if sad's the right word, but it was the one that I was uh, <laughs> pitching for because I feel like that's an interesting yeah. discussion, but that's neither here nor there. I just I just want to keep them to extra milestones, you know, not 
whatever Avatar is. But one of these days, we are going to talk about Avatar on this show, um, whether it be Avatar 2, which will probably come out in about a decade, or if we just get really drunk one day and decide, let's watch Avatar again. Uh, one, of, one of the other is bound to happen. I guess so. I'll keep my eye and ears out for that episode whenever it may come. Uh, one of the reasons we're keeping off topics lean this week, not getting into a lot besides the main reviews, and it's because we have a lot to get to. So we're going to get started right away. We have a bunch of new films on streaming that uh, are kind of all over the place in terms of genre and what kind of movies they are. There's a little bit of something for everyone this week, and we're going to get into it right away. We're going to start with a new Netflix film called The Old Guard. Who are you? You can call me Andy. I lead a group of soldiers. Fighters like you. With an extremely rare skill set. What do you mean? Mother? Let's just say we're very hard to kill. You've got questions, kid. You want answers? The Old Guard is a new film. It's kind of like, uh, you don't really know it at first, but it's sort of a superhero action film. It's based on a graphic novel, which I didn't actually know going into it. Uh, The person who made the graphic novel, I believe, is the one who did the screenplay, Greg Rucka, who, again, not very familiar with, but I want to ask you two now. Did you ever uh, hear of The Old Guard before? Like, Did you have any sort of like uh, uh, knowledge about this property, this IP, before you watched the movie? Nope. Yeah, I can't say I have either. Yeah, for me, it just kind of came out of nowhere. But uh, what's also a little surprising is a director, uh, Gina Prince-Bythewood, which Will and I, we talked a little bit about her filmography uh, last week. Uh, We were kind of being like, oh, yeah, Uh, the first movie since I think Beyond the Lights uh, in 2014, but has also directed some great films like Love and Basketball, The Secret Life of Bees. And so she's a film director and a screenwriter who's not typically known for action. So this is kind of a first action film for her. And I'm very curious to hear what you all have to say in a moment about uh, how she does here. And she definitely has a great cast to work with in this story, which I don't want to spoil. You can kind of get a sense of like what this movie's about if you watch the trailer. But like another movie we're going to talk about, it's probably best for us to start um, from a place of Here's just like a brief overview of the movie. I, there's some surprises early on. We don't want to give away too early, but we might have to talk about them later. So maybe once we get our first impressions out, uh, the listeners can then at that point decide if they want to watch the movie before hearing anything else. But for now, I will say this stars Charlize Theron, who a uh, great choice for an action lead. We've seen her in lots of great action films. I think recently, most recently, would probably be Tully, um, that that nonstop thrill machine. And then I guess before that, Atomic <laughs> Blonde. Um, but also, I was, I was surprised to see, I didn't know she was going to be in this, but Kiki Lane from If Bill Street Could Talk was in this. Um, she has uh, quite a, an interesting role as kind of a newbie to this gang of mercenaries made up of other actors like Matthias Schoenarts, who we saw in Mustang last year. Um, and then also a couple of actors I'm not as familiar with, Marwan Kanzari and Luca Marinelli, who I think kind of steal this movie in a lot of ways, uh, but we'll talk about it. And uh, Chiwetelogia for... kind of has a supporting role in this movie as well. One person I was not uh, expecting was Dudley, 
from Harry Potter and the uh, that one character from the Ballad of Buster Scruggs, Harry Edward Melling. Um, that was an interesting addition and uh, another actor I definitely wanted. I'm very curious, well, you have to say that his performance in, in this movie that is basically um, a group of these really talented mercenaries who are being hunted for their strange abilities by this uh, this like pharma it's like a militarized pharma group it's kind of an ambiguous um, villain organization Um, it's very pulpy lots of action scenes lots of like mythology and it looks like this movie is like the setup for uh, a bunch of movies like it feels like a franchise starter which you kind of tell netflix is trying to make their own sort of brand of action movie that is pretty different from other ones we've seen this year we've already seen movies like spencer confidential and extraction and you know those kinds of films like the michael bay action films that are clearly trying to appease that big theatrical blockbuster uh feeling that you can just get at home now so starting with you emily um with the old guard do you think it's successful do you do you think this is a worthwhile action film to experience at home instead of in the theater well i will preface this by saying that action is not my normal genre but i think um watching it it feels very um likable and i think um it has a satisfying watch for me um so especially if you like this kind of stuff and you don't want to go to theaters anytime soon i think it's a workable watch all right and what about you well, Ashton, I know, you know, I don't think action is like the genre you tend to rave about uh, whenever we're talking about our favorite films of the year, but you like a good action movie, right? I would think so. Yeah. I mean, certainly when it's done very well. And I, I mean, I don't know if any of them were my favorites, but I know definitely for sure Mad Max Free Road, like a lot of people, is one of the best movies of the past decade. And I think it's one that with rewatching, it, it only gets better. Um, and so, I mean, we know that Charlie Theron is a great action star in addition to just yeah. being a great actress in general. Uh, and I think that's what informed my fairly underwhelmed feelings for this film. I think it was also just because the reviews for this are so positive and so uh, high that I, I guess I was expecting something that was maybe a little bit more, like you said, like kind of pulpy and unique than it really was. But for the most part, I found it to be a fairly conventional film outside of uh, a few different things, which... I mean, I, I do like that it's as exclusive as it is. Like, it definitely puts something like Avengers and Game the Shame in that regard, where they were kind of patting themselves on the back for just having like one character oh, yeah. in a therapy scene that was like, oh, yeah, my boyfriend. And they're like, wow, look <laughs> at how inclusive we are. And this movie, in that regard, puts that to shame. But um, outside of that, I mean, like, the action's fine. I, I, I think there's a scene in a plane that, that really stands out to me, but the rest is just kind of featureless as far as the action is concerned. Like, it's not incompetent, like, it's choreographed fine, but the camera work doesn't really do anything interesting. And it's not John Wick. No, yeah, I, think I mean, we, I think some people are trying to compare this to John Wick and even Atomic Blonde is some. Yeah, extent. I was gonna say, I think that's Atomic, Atomic Blonde maybe makes more sense here because that's that was one of those same directors of John Wick and that that was with Shirley Theron. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't have anything against the cast. Like, I kind of wish the characters, though, were a little bit more interesting. Like, I think they all do their part to make these characters a little bit more intuitive and maybe a little bit more mature than your average superhero characters. But I just don't think there was a lot going on thematically as much as it wanted to dive into these characters. It felt like their ultimate intentions were kind of drab and shallow (laughs) to me in a way that I found kind of disappointing. And uh, you might disagree with that, but uh, by and large, I, I mean, it's not 
even that bad. It's not terrible. It's just I just found it to be a fairly mediocre action movie from Netflix. And it has a lot of the problems I've had, like you said, where it just feels like it's setting up something like it feels like a pilot to a show that may or may not ever come around. And that kind of bugs me more than I think a the real flaws of the film, which is just that it doesn't really feel complete or cohesive to me. It just feels like you said, like Netflix trying to establish something that they want to have later down the road. And I'm getting kind of sick of that from the superhero genre. So, yeah, it wasn't really my cup of tea. I never thought about it like that, but I totally agree that it totally does feel like a pilot. Yeah, I was I was even wondering, I was like, I wonder if they're setting up a series, actually, because it does kind of come off like especially because this isn't like a big budget thing. Like you could pretty easily like this is about the same uh, look as something you'd probably get on maybe not network TV, but something like FX or something or AMC. Uh, that said, yeah, you know, Will, unfortunately, I, I I think I think I agree with mostly what you're saying, especially with the cast, which is sad to say. I guess I'm just a little bit more forgiving because I think some things stand out a little bit better. Um, the things that frustrated me were it, it took way too long for me to get over uh, Charlize Theron's like Aeon Flux haircut. Um, it's way too similar. It's like I I thought it looked better here than it did on Flux. It does. It definitely does. Definitely does. But I mean, it's just hard to separate it. So like, I was thinking about that movie way more often than I wanted to. Um, there's there's some iconography here that is interesting. I think like the fact that sometimes they use like these special weapons that we don't want to give away. And I think that even though you know, intellect on an intellectual level, I don't like the setup stuff. I don't like that it's putting the cart before the horse. But I do think it does it a lot better than most other movies attempting this sort of thing. Um, it's not Mummy. It's not um, Artemis Fowl in that respect. It actually does like at least give you like a decent enough movie to set up stuff. And I thought the stuff that they set up in terms of certain characters, I thought was like harrowing. There, there's a, a revelation about what happens to a certain character who gets brought up a couple times that like gave me chills. Like it just yeah, the implications yeah, of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I I, th- there's like a peppering of interesting stuff like that but yeah the definitely a few flaws to speak of um emily you know we've talked about some of the things we liked some of the things we disliked um and i'm curious what did you think of the mythology itself like did you think it was interesting i know some people have said like the exposition is a little heavy but i'm i don't know how i feel about that um yeah i i feel like it's a little heavy i mean like for me i have a hard time with action movies um listening to the exposition um just because i don't know i feel like a lot of the best ones get that done super fast super easy and they're like in the moment because that is what action movies are really about um and this one definitely did take um a little longer but i think what i had more of a problem with was the music i just felt like it oh yes like any of the good scenes (laughs) but yeah well it felt like music for like a young adult like dystopia film right yeah like something you would hear in the trailer for like the hunger games or something even worse i don't know it was just like it was bad pop music to me but i mean i like pop music i would have listened to those songs like you know independently from this i'll admit it i'm a little basic sometimes but yeah it did not match this like pretty heavy like this is an r film like there's uh you know there's r-rated language and there's a lot of like gore there's a lot of upsetting imagery like it just it, I don't understand exactly how they're trying to market this. I I suppose it'll work because the, the kids like edgy content. But yeah, well, I mean, it, it sounds like you think this is mediocre, but 
do you also do you have to admit it's probably going to be a big success? I think a lot of people are talking about it. A lot of people are liking it, not just critics. Uh, what, what would what do you think should change for a sequel if when it inevitably comes that you think would maybe kick this up a notch? Um, I don't know. I just feel like it just from a visual standpoint didn't really stand out to me. And Agreed. I, I, and I do think, like you said, like it, it, it has so many conventional beats that doesn't like the stuff that feels fairly progressive and interesting doesn't really get to stand out as much. Like I do agree that the moments that where that does work, I'm like, okay, yeah, where, where's this movie? Like, where can we dive into this? But I don't know if that's because I didn't really think of this as like how to appeal to the kids. Cause it seems to be intentionally much more adult like featuring like yeah. middle-aged uh, actors and like kind of having more adult themes. So it's like, is that part of the problem? Is that's like kind of appealing to like younger and older audiences at the same time? I don't know, but I think so. I don't know. I don't have the all the answers casting, there, but <laughs> well, the casting at Kiki Lane, yeah. I think gives that away. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I just felt like fairly stock in that regard to me. Like, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I admire the film for what it does from a progressive standpoint, but those things just hinder it to the point where I don't think this movie stands out uh as much as it should and i think that's for me pretty disappointing i guess i'm definitely not as disappointed as you are and i think a lot of that has to do with um the actual abilities that these characters have and some of the interesting territory i do think that they get into with like uh what this movie is about besides what it's quote about so i'm going to kind of give away the the big hook of the movie so if you don't want to know um but it, you know you, you find out pretty early on it's not like it's a huge plot twist or anything but yes we find out that these characters, the old guard, they are immortals. So they've uh, our main character, Charlize Theron, her name is Andromache of Scythia, which, by the way, when she first says her name, very badass moment, just putting it out there. Um, and so that's why they use like these kind of older weapons. And um, Andromache, who just goes by Andy in particular, she's been around since, it's, it's sort of implied she's been around since like ancient Greek myth. And she's like been worshipped as a god. And basically what happens is if they can't really die, um, if they, their wounds kind of close up, uh, but the movie throws wrinkles into this. It, it's not like they can't ever die. And so there are some more implications to that. And most of the movie is spent, you know, they're being hunted because this ability could potentially be used by a pharmaceutical to help other people. And uh, along the way, they're kind of training up this new immortal who just popped up named Niall, who's played by Kiki Lane. And so that's our exposition. You, you see the formula. They're, they're going to walk her through how does this stuff work. And I think where the movie got me and where I think some critics are finding something here that maybe you aren't quite will. And I don't know, Emily, it sounds like you're kind of in between is that I think the implications of being an immortal person and like the ethics and morality of it are explored in a better way here than I think think they would have been otherwise like just the idea of like just just the idea of like being alive for so long and feeling like nothing matters i mean it, it ties into another movie we're going to talk about which is funny but you know yeah. i think that they did explore an interesting angle on that and even though i don't think the movie is a complete package on that question i think that's the setup that i'm interested in to sort of see what happens next for some of these characters and uh i i liked i like the little sprinkling of mythology here i think like uh, we mentioned them before but the, uh, the men who like they fought each other in the crusades only to fall in love. It's like, it, it's such a beautiful, like, at, you know, th it's like something we've never seen before that kind of relationship. And it does put other movies to shame that are so embarrassed of themselves whenever they like walk around characters being gay. This movie just like embraces it and shows that it, it it's really fun and it's something we don't see enough. So um, I think that's why the movie's working for me a bit better. 
No, I mean, I agree with that. I just think for me, the fact there are those nuggets there, but they're not really given as much depth as I was hoping just makes the whole experience more disappointing in retrospect. But I admire that the film does that. And I'm glad people are getting something out of it because of it. I, I will say another thing, too. I think this movie's shooting for like the the Kiki Lane character kind of feeling like, you know, what it's like when you're in your 20s and you want to sort of prove yourself and like be but she's literally like going into adulthood is even more intimidating when they're all like thousands of years old i think that was an interesting angle they probably should have leaned in more but yeah i like this one overall i think it's like a it's like a pretty low b minus but still a b minus i think it's satisfying i think the action is impressive and i think that it shows that gina prince brethood should do more action movies i think she could really like um build up a great repertoire of this sort of thing. And I think, I think that there's enough in here that people haven't seen before that they can forgive some of the more conventional stuff and the soundtrack for sure. Uh, so yeah, low B minus for me, uh, Emily, where are you at with the old guard? Um, I would say a C from me, um, just because I, I feel like it's fine. Um, and it's not something that I personally feel is very, um, rewarding but i think other people will um and yeah all right b minus for me c for emily will ashen tell us all about your a minus yeah i'm right in between you guys i i feel like it's a c plus film pretty firmly like i i appreciate what you admire in the film and i get that to an extent but i'm closer to emily on this one i just found it to be more generic than not which is a shame because we see the better film popping out at times i think that just made me more disappointed in retrospect but like for the most part, I just kept thinking of better films like Only Lovers Left Alive. I felt dealt with the immortality aspect a lot better than this did. And as far as like a dumb action movie in this regard, like something like Wanted, which is not a smarter film than this, but it's like more entertaining, I felt, and more stylish than this was. I just felt like it was just a kind of ho-hum movie overall. But I am appreciative that people are getting something out of it. And as opposed to something like Extraction, that uh, Chris um, Hemsworth movie that came out, like two yeah. months ago that pretty much everyone forgot about <laughs> um, that. That's it's better than that. But I don't think this is like a trendsetter for like Netflix action blockbusters, but it's a step forward at least. So I can appreciate in that regard. I think wanted is an interesting comparison. I had a thought. Of, I had not thought of that. So, I, but that's, that's an interesting one uh, to bring up. All right. That is the old guard, a little bit of contention um, between us, slight disagreements, but let us know what you think of The Old Guard in the comments of this episode on cinemaholics.com. Let's move on to our next movie. I'm, I'm sad, Will, you didn't get a chance to see Palm Springs. It's going to be a beautiful wedding. Here you are, standing on the precipice of something so much bigger than anyone here. But always remember, you are not alone. I don't think that we met. I'm Sarah. Niles. Hi. Hi. Palm Springs is a new film from the Lonely Island guys, the directorial debut of Max Barbacow. Uh, so I saw this at Sundance and I rewatched it. So I've seen this one twice and I've been talking about this film a lot over the last uh, six months. I, I really, really liked it. It's one of my favorite films of the year. Uh, fortunately, Emily, you saw it. So we get to get a fresh perspective on this movie. Now, I want to preface this with saying, you know, just like in the Sundance review, I, I don't think uh, you should watch the trailer. Uh, if you don't know anything about this movie yet, 
and you're and you're interested, I say just watch it. It's on Hulu right now, and uh, I think it's far more satisfying if you watch it not knowing what kind of movie it is. Unfortunately, people are spoiling what kind of movie it is left and right, and that's a shame. Um, but uh, and I think for our purposes, because we already did sort of a spoiler free review, I'm gonna just say. I really like this movie. I think it's really great. Um, Emily, do you want to say if you like it or not too before we open it up and actually talk about the movie? Yeah, sure. Uh, I loved it. I love this genre and it's hard to do well. And so I feel like when it does um, and it's really fun, um, it feels really fascinating. I think that's this one applies. Okay. Glowing recommendations from us. Uh, go see it. It's really great. But now we're going to talk about it. This conversation will still be spoiler free. Like we won't give away what happens or anything, but we are going to sort of talk about what kind of movie it is. So this is your last warning. Skip on ahead. Use the thumbnails. Uh, you can go to the next chapter um, for our next review. But for now, we're going to get right into it. So Palm Springs is a romantic comedy. Uh, really leans more on the comedy, but it's, it's more of like a, a dash of romance. Um, and I think in a really sweet way, actually. Uh, this is a screenplay by Andy Sierra, and it stars Andy Samberg, uh, Kristen Milioti, and uh, Peter Gallagher, and J.K. Simmons, uh, Camilla Mendez, uh, a lot of great familiar faces. And we sort of open up the movie with uh, Andy Samberg's character, who is a really nihilistic guy. He's so nihilistic, nothing matters, that... Uh, he's named Niles. Like I, I thought that was a fun touch. And uh, he's sort of like going through the motions of this wedding. Um, his girlfriend is one of the bridesmaids. And uh, we see him sort of like st- strike up a little bit of chemistry with Kristen Milioti's character, who is at the wedding as well. And she's uh, she doesn't want to be there. She's been kind of drinking wine the entire time. Um, she's kind of feeling like the uh, the black sheep of the family. And the two of them sort of connect but then something happens that sort of uh, takes them for a bit of a loop. And we find out pretty early on that it looks like Andy Samberg, uh, his character, Niles, has been in a time loop for an unspecified amount of time. And so it explains why he has been um, just like extra uh, competent in a lot of like random ways. Like it, it's, it's a really fun thing. And that's why like it's, it's something that you hope that people don't see coming because you get to experience the film um, from the perspective of the person in the time loop who's not the time Lord, which is such a fun idea. Like it's such a fun, like you you get to be part of like as the audience, that moment of discovering, Oh, it's because you've lived this day thousands of times. Um, So yes, this is like a groundhog's day sort of thing. And due to a series of circumstances, Niles and um, Sarah, Kristen Milioti's character, they are stuck in this time loop now together. And they sort of like live this like meaningless existence um, every single day. And there's like a bunch of philosophy in this movie. It, it's so much of so many different things. Emily, what did, what did you think of Palm Springs specifically? I loved it. I mean, I think Andy Samberg is adorable and funny and so like I think he fits this role really well and um I don't know like I just enjoyed watching them get to know each other while trying to like test the limits of this time loop thing um together and I think they made that really fun and not redundant or anything um and then the ending just feels really satisfying and sweet and um it was really enjoyable yeah, they do a lot of like subverting of things that you already know if you've seen a movie like this. If you if you've seen Live Die Repeat or Edge of Tomorrow, if you've seen uh, Happy Death Day, 
you know, I, I love when filmmakers come to this genre sort of bringing their own stamp. And like you said, sort of like testing the limits of it. And I, I really like the way that it, it it really dispenses with the how did this happen? Why did it happen or anything like that? And it just has a lot of fun with it. And this movie is like pure fun. I think that like as a comedy, I hope some people aren't disappointed. They don't. It, it's not that it's like the funniest laugh a minute thing you've ever seen. I think it's more situationally funny. And every once in a while, it gets a really good laugh. I think specifically considering there's been um, uh, people listening here don't go on Twitter, don't know this, I guess, but um, there's something involving cake and cutting into cake that is uh, particularly timely. <laughs> um, and I, I honestly, as I was rewatching this, I had forgotten about that scene, but it's probably my favorite part. Uh, it had me laughing the hardest. Uh, there's just so many great laughs in here and the characters are sweet. And I think Chris and is yet another actor we've seen who just seems to have chemistry with everyone. Um, it's just like effortless with her and Andy Samberg here. Um, they're really well, well-written characters, well-realized characters. Honestly, seeing this movie again, uh, it kind of um, firmly established this as like one of my favorite films of the year and just like a comfort food movie that I feel like I'll be able to revisit time and again, um, pun intended. Um, just because I, I just think it's it's just so warm and sweet, but also really funny and edgy and um, edgy in the sense that it, like it is an R-rated film. So uh, this is not a wholesome family movie for sure. Yeah. As a single person in the pandemic right now, I felt like the idea that these people can find each other yeah. even within a time loop, like something does change. And like, I felt that was super optimistic and sweet. Right. Yes. Yeah, so I was going to bring that up too. It, it is just so fitting. I mean, they made this movie well before any of this pandemic stuff happened, but this is such a great quarantine watch. I was actually on the rewatch uh, because that's obviously in the back of my mind. How can it not be? We've been sheltering in place and like not really being able to have new experiences or like progress. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, in the same way, these characters are kind of stuck in time. And it's so funny to me that I think this could end up being like the best movie about this current time that we will get anytime soon. And it was made before, <laughs> but I think that it, it so perfectly captures like the feeling and like the uh, nothing matters and the this is so frustrating. I hate this, but also I just sort of have to go with it and do what I can and drink all day, like that kind of thing. It captures that so well without dwelling on the pain of that. So like I was worried going into this being like, man, is this just going to make me up like sad and depressed <laughs> of like what's going on in the world? But it didn't. It it kind of lifted my spirits. And I think it's what you're saying. Emily. I think that it, it's because of these two characters coming together and figuring each other out and um, all the little fun wrinkles around the way that makes them really work. And I, I honestly, I don't have much else to say beyond that. I, I just think it's just so great. And I, I, uh, I don't have too much to add. What about you? Yeah, me either. Um, I, uh, when you said that, it's best to come into this um, without any knowledge. I was lucky enough to really to watch it before a lot of people were talking about it on Twitter. Um, all I knew was that it was good and funny and interesting in the rom-com genre. And I think that's all you really need to know to like want to watch this movie. If you like movies like this. Yeah. I hope you get a chance to see it soon. Will, um, especially because the, uh, I think the Hawaiian shirt thing, is going to uh, click with you personally. We'll see. We'll see. Um, but yeah, we'll for sure have to ask you what you think of the movie whenever you get a chance to see it. Uh, yeah. Uh, the one thing that I guess you guys didn't touch on that I was curious about was how's my man Connor O'Malley? Oh my God. So <laughs> funny. I love good? that man. Yes. Yeah, he's great. So I'm looking this forward to great. a lot of things. 
yeah, I'm looking forward to a lot of things, but especially his performance. So I'll check it out some point soon. I'll let you guys know what I think. I, I have to admit, I kind of forgot he was in this. Um, uh, he wasn't the thing that stuck out with to me the most. But uh, yeah, on rewatch, uh, there's like a couple of lines he gets. Uh, like Emily, I think there's a scene where he's like, I don't feel safe here. Like that was, I was really <laughs> starting to lose it. That was pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, that's that's Palm, Palm Springs. I'm a very high A minus on this. This is, this is a definite. Go check it out. I think a lot of people listening are going to have a good time with it. Um, I, I can't say enough nice things. What about you, Emily? Yeah, I think it's just a plain A for me, not A minus or A plus, but I just think it's like really, really good. All right. It's, let's just say it. It's just an A for both of us at this point. Uh, Palm Springs, definitely check it out. It's on Hulu. You can stream it. And uh, if you listened anyway, despite our warnings, I think you'll still like it. I mean, it's not, it's a fun surprise to have. It's a nice to have, a privilege, a treat if you will. Um, but I think it's still very enjoyable, even if you know what's coming. Um, I certainly did. So that is Palm Springs. And I, and, you know, I'm, I'm very curious how this would have done. It was bought for, I think, $22 million and it was supposed to come out in theaters. And yeah, while I was rewatching it, I was like, man, you know, I, I wonder if this would have been huge. Like, I wonder if a lot of people would have seen it or if it would have been another like book smart where critics really like it, but audiences just like don't care. So uh, uh, I guess we'll never know. Well, based on past Sundance films, I would say it's more likely than not that it wouldn't do that hot. <laughs> well, I guess the difference, though, is that it's Andy Samberg. And I think that because yeah, it was Brooklyn Nine right. and SNL, I think you have an easier way to like lure people in compared to Booksmart, which the leads were still kind of unknown. I mean, I, I say this liking Andy Samberg, but most of his movies, I think all of them pretty much, with the exception of Hotel Transylvania, have not done well in theaters. So he's not a box office draw. <laughs> I think it's different. I mean, I think that that's a little unfair at this point, just because I think Brooklyn Nine-Nine has really like made him a household name. Like, I know a lot of people who love that show. And I think I have a feeling it would have been slightly different compared to something like um, That's My Boy or, um, and, and you know, there's there's movies he had small roles in that were very successful. Like, I Love You, Man, which, hey, J.K. Simmons and him were father and son in that, which is I, kind of funny to think I think, I think it just would have been another pop star. <laughs> As far as the box office is concerned, that's my guess. Unfortunately, we don't know. Um, I'm curious if he will make another movie this good that will be in theaters at some point, and then we'll maybe uh, maybe we'll be able to address this again and see who was right. I don't know, but uh, that's Palm Springs, uh, a definite recommend from me and Emily, and uh, we'll see what we'll have to say sometime soon. Okay, we're gonna talk about Greyhound now. I'm the only one who saw Greyhound, correct? Yeah. Yeah, I've not seen it. Okay, so Greyhound is a new film on Apple TV Plus, and I'm kind of surprised it's not one of our featured reviews just because it's it's Tom Hanks. <laughs> it's just kind of funny to me, but this is this is how it goes. You know, I think that the old guard, which at least they're on, just really dominated the conversation. Palm Springs as well. And Greyhound's kind of sneaking in a little bit. Now, I did see Greyhound, and I have to preface, as always, that uh, I, I do have like a little bit of a conflict of interest here. I don't work for Apple TV+. Plus. I don't do anything for them specifically, but I do work for Apple. Um, so you have to take my review with a grain of salt, obviously. But I do still want to talk about this movie, and uh, I do have my own opinion on it. Um, technically, it started as a Sony Pictures film, and like I said, it stars Tom Hanks, who also did the screenplay, which I was very interested to see how he would do. This is an adaptation, Greyhound, of the 1955 novel, the Good Shepherd by C.S. Forrester. And it takes place during, um, I think, uh, mid-1942, if not early 1942. So we've just, uh, America has just entered World War II. 
And we follow Tom Hanks, who is this naval captain who is using a battleship to escort a convoy of the allies who are trying to get, I believe they're trying to get to London. Um, I forget what direction they're actually going in. <laughs> That's a detail that they don't really bring that up a, a lot. I kind of forgot, honestly. Um, all you really know is they're trying to protect this convoy from the German uh, aggression because uh, there's U-boats, the submarines that can uh, sneak around that would basically be able to pick this convoy off one by one. And sure enough, that's what ends up happening. A pack of these U-boats, these German Nazi U-boats show up to take out this convoy. And um, Tom Hanks's character, their ship is called the Greyhound. So not to be confused with the bus, they have to meticulously fight this off, fight this threat off. And what you, what you really see is like, this isn't a glossy glamorized world war II action movie um it takes a little a few notes from something like saving private brian in the sense that it it has a particular attention to detail it is very analog where you don't simply have for example tom hanks being like we need to move the ship and um fire at them and then it happens that is not this movie this movie is um dozens of people on this ship doing what actually was done in order for like these maneuvers to be taken out where you have people talking over the radio, um, sending out codes, um, having to like be on the sonar. And it, it's all about just the grind and the tediousness of having to make battle decisions when you're on a boat and you can't just, it's not a video game. You can't just control it with a joystick. And that's what I thought was that really stood out about this movie, that it makes it a little bit more interesting than I think it would have otherwise have been. Um, I think sometimes like Tom Hanks prestige period films can just be a little, like I said, glossy. Not a lot of substance to them, not a lot in there that's tangible. And this one's very different. Uh, I think that it it does actually take a tangible approach to uh, what something like this was like uh, during the Battle of the Atlantic. And in that sense, it's really cool. It's a, it's a, a technically interesting movie. It's a very dad movie for sure. And I don't think it's going to appeal to a lot of people outside of that, uh, that very particular demographic. But I think it's worthwhile. I think that Tom Hanks is doing um, his typical like noble American hero performance. It's kind of just a variation of his Captain Phillips and his uh, Sully, as we've seen. Uh, I think what's a little unique about this one is that he's not playing somebody who's been doing this for a long time. This is his first command. It's still pretty early in the war, which is a little confusing that because of his age, but apparently that's accurate to the book. And he is he doesn't have everything figured out. Uh, he has like his opinion on what to do. He's trained for this, but we see the weight of these decisions and like there are moral dilemmas he has to go through. Of, do I chase down this U-boat, which is going to try to sink this other ship, or do I go to this other ship and save the people who are about to drown? And what complicates that further is that he is built up early on as a man of faith. He has like uh, biblical verses everywhere. He doesn't allow any uh, profanity on the ship. He quotes um, scripture to people. Like he's someone who's very seriously um, of faith. And we see that faith get rattled. Um, we see him sort of like disintegrate spiritually and physically. And I think what's interesting about the movie is it shows like that is the toll of war that it breaks you down. Um, I don't think the film has any like revelations to it beyond just showing something um, interesting in a character study. It doesn't really like bring about any conversation that I think is very compelling or meaningful to the cinematic language. It, it doesn't really have that sort of like uh, goal. It seems like it doesn't even really try to, 
it just sort of like it's another sort of Dunkirk situation where it really is just sort of like laying something out in a technically interesting way. Um, it's not as good as Dunkirk, nowhere close. I think that uh, on a technical level, in terms of the effects, it's just not as strong. I think the sense of location is similarly really good. I think the tension is really good. You really feel like these characters are hunted and like every second is precious. Every like um, you have to like hit these codes perfectly to make something happen. All that stuff really works. But when the water effects, some of the explosion effects, it's a little shoddy. I think the the budget uh, wasn't quite what they needed it to be for something this ambitious. Um, I think that uh, they, they clearly wanted this to be a big film. Um, Sony wanted this in theaters for sure. This would have been an interesting IMAX film. Maybe the effects could have been polished out better there. It's a $50 million budget, so that's possible. But yeah, it just it's just not uh, that impressive um, in, in those ways. Um, it's not impressive in a lot of ways, to be totally honest, in terms of its story and some of its writing. And it's it's a little it's a little rough around the edges. But I think what it gets right uh, is uh, very interesting enough. And uh, I, th- I think, it, like I said, uh, for dads and for curious moviegoers, it's a decent time. Um, I'm a again, this is another very low B minus. Uh, I think I'm like almost right the same how I feel about the old guard. Where, yeah, it, it can be kind of mediocre in some ways, but there's sprinkles of things we haven't seen before that make it uh, worth worth seeking out, um, especially if you're interested in World War II films. This is a, a film about that time period from an angle we don't typically get a lot of. That uh, And that was another thing that I kind of appreciated. I think like just the meticulous, tedious nature of commanding a boat, that's what this movie really is. And I think in that sense... Um, it's, it's, it's interesting. We have a movie like this, uh, very old fashioned, but at the same time, it's old fashioned about something a little bit more, um, I don't want to say refreshing. Cause I mean, the pun is too strong, um, considering the water, but, uh, uh, yeah, not explosive by any means cinematically, but it definitely is smooth sailing if you're into this sort of movie. So Greyhound low B minus from me. And, uh, yeah, I, I, Emily, will, I have a feeling you two are not going to be seeking this one out anytime soon. I can't say that you need to rush to, uh, Apple TV plus to check it out. Honestly. Yeah. I was going to ask if it's like worth getting an Apple TV plus subscription over because I don't have it. So that was like one of the reasons why I didn't seek it out, but is it worth, is that the thing that should make me get Apple TV plus? It doesn't really, you know, the only thing on Apple TV Plus that I think is worth the subscription is probably Mythic Quest. <laughs> totally honestly, so I would say check what out about, Mythic uh, Quest if you do that. Beastie Boys story. Oh, I for, yes, Beastie Boys story is really good too. But even mm, that okay. one, I think that's a very particular kind of movie. I think for Beastie Boys story, if you don't like the Beastie Boys, that might be kind of tough. And I don't know Thank if I'm you. You do okay. Do. There we go. <laughs> I would say Mythic Quest and BC Boy Story. I would definitely check out first. Um, they're they're a little bit more impressive. Um, if you happen to get a subscription or trial or whatever. So okay. <laughs> Let's talk about a film that is notably slower. Um, probably for the better. <laughs> a little bit more chill movie. This one's called First Cow, and another film that Will hasn't seen. We'll get to the films Will has seen shortly we promise will sorry uh we got one more and uh that is first cow which came out last year and it's uh, been going like through the festival circuit it was supposed to it was in theaters like right when the pandemic hit so a24 took it off and that's sad um because i think that it it would have been a fun indie to check out in theaters unfortunately i didn't get a chance to but emily i know you are a huge fan of this movie uh, i know that you really like this director kelly reichardt kelly reichardt's a director i've been hearing about for so long and i've always felt ashamed that i i haven't watched any of her films until now um 
but I, I hear so much, so many good things about it. And I always put her films on my list and then I don't get to it. Uh, she's been making films for quite a while and uh, she makes like very minimalist films. I, that's what she's really known for. She likes to deal with characters who are sort of on the outskirts of society, typically working class characters um, who live in like more rural uh, communities. And that's certainly what First Cow is in that sense. And it's probably the only film I think I've ever seen where the most recognizable actor is Toby Jones. Um, I'm curious if uh, you would agree. Although John Magaro, we saw and we talked about in Plot Against America. So I guess we, we got to be fair to that, right? So Wait, um, John Magaro's in it? Was it? Is that the or same guy Plot or do they just America? look similar? I don't think he's in Plot Against America. I might be screwing that up. I'll look it up, but uh, while I fact check myself, <laughs> Emily Kubin connect. What is first cow all about? What is this movie? Um, so it is about Cookie. He is a cook for a trapping um, troop in northern Portland um, in the 1800s, I think. Um, but it was still territory, yeah. and after he is done with his little tour, um, he meets King Lee um, in their little like settlement that they have created in the town. And um, they end up living together and they breed this business plan that's kind of dangerous and try to succeed in a place that's really, really hard um, to kind of raise the ranks okay i looked it up john magro i'm so sorry <laughs> i had him confused with anthony boyle anthony boyle is the guy they don't even look that similar so i'm very embarrassed um, <laughs> it's it's so funny too because uh so anthony boyle's the one in plot against america to be clear john magro we have seen him in other things so he's he's had roles i'm seeing here in the big shorts uh carol mm -hmm. uh, orange is the new black umbrella academy i recognize him more readily from this commercial he did for Coca-Cola like over a decade ago. It's like a Christmas Coca-Cola commercial. Huh. Listeners, if you know what I'm talking about, please let me know because I love that commercial and sometimes I watch it on YouTube around the holidays because <laughs> I'm like that one person apparently who loves it. Um, it's like, it's weird. He's, he has like a big party and it's like the holidays are here again and I've invited all my friends. It's fantastic and it really captures the season perfectly. Mm. But anyway, first cow. <laughs> Uh, yeah, not a lot of recognizable actors besides uh, who we mentioned here, but uh, yeah, I, you know, Emily, as somebody who's watching Kelly Reichardt for the first time, I'm guessing her films are usually this slow paced. Um, yes, I think Night Moves is for me the most exciting, um, but it, it takes some time to get there. Um, but I think that one gets higher like faster paced uh towards the end but yeah well you know you know what's weird though is i never felt the runtime like when it ended i mm -hmm. honestly looked and i was like oh you know that wasn't that long it was like an hour and a half what no it was over two hours so mm -hmm. there is it didn't feel long to me for sure uh which i guess is surprising considering this the short pace i assume that has something to do with right cards editing um she did edit this film and i think I guess she just very, she's so gifted at it. It's a, it's a mystery to me how this film just sort of felt like I, I don't know. I was very immersed. Uh, I felt mm -hmm. like I was there. I felt like I was in the Oregon territory. Um, I thought that it had a much more um, faithful uh, imagining of this time period compared to mm -hmm. like the Revenant, for example. 
I think like yeah. in The Revenant, it, that felt like a mythological film. I, I never felt like it was a real place where people actually exist. And I think it was because of the extreme personalities of the characters and the extreme circumstances. And here, yeah, it's it's so much more realistic, right? Yeah, I mean, she did a lot of research um, with the native tribes that were there. And you can definitely see the inclusion of that um, within the movie. And so I think that builds a lot of um, realism that aren't in other frontier movies. Yeah, I saw that uh, the book, uh, The Half-Life, um, apparently like it's a bit more sprawling than this. It's got a little bit more detail and she lies with these characters, but I do like that. She, it looks like, it seems like she really condensed this story, like really precisely, mm-hmm. like in a way that like really just gets to the point. Um, despite how you spend a lot of time where the characters are sort of slowly moving about. And I think it, especially like it, when the scheme of the movie picks up, I was so engrossed in something so simple <laughs> and mm-hmm. something so touching and sweet. I, I just think like the friendship between these men. It's just, I don't know, there there was something about it that felt so much more authentic than a lot of other stories about men being friends with each other and kind of like relying on each other. There's even, it's not like traits. There is like a sense of um, should these characters trust each other and do these characters always listen to each other? I don't know, there was something about it that really rang true. So I'm curious, Mm -hmm. like for somebody who's watching this movie, we're talking about a movie that Apparently, we're making it sound like it's in real time or something, and it's like just mumble core. Uh, but what, what do you think about it, like as a movie? What do you think people really should get out of this that should make them go check it out? Because I think it, I think it is a hard thing to sell to people. Um, I think it's hard to sell to people who aren't normally willing to kind of meditate on life in the way that Kelly Reichardt does in all of her films. And but I think that is like what you need to get out of film um, sometimes that isn't there. And so I think this movie does a lot for me, but I think it does a great way of um, kind of dismantling this idea that we have of, you know, the start of this country and the American dream and how if you work hard enough and play by the rules in some way, then you'll be able to get to a certain point. And I think, this movie does a great job of saying, you know what, it's not like that now. And it really has never been. Um, And I think, yeah, I mean, it may be slow, but I think we need that sometimes. And in comparison to the other films that we talked about, sometimes it's better to take a moment, focus on the details. And I think that's like why you feel so engrossed into this movie. Yeah, I think that that really speaks to what I I'm a, I'm thinking is what I liked about this the most. Now, it's not a film that I love necessarily. Maybe I need to watch it again, but I think I appreciate it more than anything. And what I appreciate is that it proves you don't need every movie to be the old guard. Like you don't need every movie to be full of spectacle and full of action and the same sort of plot beats we always get. Like it doesn't mm-hmm. need to be a movie where one character has a secret and then this character finds out the secret and their friendship is, re- it just, I don't know. It, it's like she finds different angles on human experiences. And that's what fascinates me about it. Cause I'm like, I can't believe I watched a movie like this and mm-hmm. it clicked with me and it, it made me feel something, you know? Uh, and I'll give an example. It's like, there's a scene early on in the film and it's just Kelly Reichardt trying to get across to you who cookie is. Who is this guy? And without any words, she does it in like four seconds. 
and it's mm-hmm. him seeing a, a little salamander on the ground mm-hmm. and it's on its back and then he turns it over and it, I, that doesn't sound thrilling i guess but like watching it, it it's so much more informative uh and I, I don't know it's so hard to explain and that, i think that's what's fascinating about right i gotta go watch a movie from her right again another one right now mm-hmm. go ahead i'll take over the show <laughs> go ahead <laughs> okay well emily you've got the reins no, I, I, I'm really, I was really taken by this, and I think that it's, uh, I, I'm still struggling to understand it in a lot of ways. But yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. um, and I'm curious, what you know, what did you think of? Because um, I agree with you in terms of like it shows us, hey, here's what people of color were up to. They existed. Mm-hmm. They were here. Uh, I think sometimes movies like people are like, well, you, you can't just have, you can't force people of color to be in that. That's not historically accurate. And I was like, all right. Um, professor history lesson like no like they were around like they existed Mm -hmm. it's just that all of our stories tend to center around the same types of people and Mm -hmm. this movie kind of i think elegantly does that in different ways so i'm I'm curious like what were what did you think of like the the king lou um i keep i almost forgot his name um what did you think of his role in this story and uh what, what worked for him with you i loved him um he is very different from cookie in that like he knows he wants to survive in America and is willing to do whatever it takes in order to do that. And he's more on like the dangerous side, but I think he's interesting. And the things that he talks about in his perspective are really in like enlightening into the story. And it kind of addresses that misconception that we have of like native Americans were only the, non-white people in America at this time, um, like immediately. And I thought that was really smart too. Yes. Especially in, uh, the West coast, right? Because mm-hmm. Chinese immigrants were uh, responsible for building a lot of what was made here, you know, uh, including the railroads, but also as we see here, like, uh, businesses and, uh, yeah, it's, it's especially like the week after we talked about Hamilton, this kind of immigrant story is kind of fascinating to look at. Um, yeah, I, I, I couldn't help, but like, like I said before, when it came to this, this, uh, friendship, I, I saw myself so much in this guy, like just the way that he has this like ambitious spirit and is like, he, you never know if he's just being optimistic or being delusional. And I clicked mm-hmm. with that way too much. <laughs> um, and I just sort of like, I don't know, like, I've, I feel like I've built up friendships and, and have started, I've like wanted to like. Um, work with other people and like make things with them like i don't know podcasts or something but <laughs> you know will doesn't know i'm talking about him right now um but like I, like legitimately like I, i'll just say like with cookie like that gentle spirit of just like um somebody who is so patient and like um nothing like will ashton but i think <laughs> <laughs> sorry will i will are you planning on checking this one out or how how interested are you in a first cow Oh, I'm definitely interested. I've I've only actually seen three Kelly Reichardt movies before this. I've seen Night Moves, Wendy and Lucy, and Meek's Cutoff. And I love Wendy and Lucy, and I really like Night Moves. Um, I like Meek's Cutoff as well, not as much mm. as the other two, but enough that I can really appreciate her her style and her vision. And uh, I've also been meeting. I wanted to check out Old Joy at the start of um, this quarantine because I got to meet Will Odom earlier this year, but. Um, I haven't had a chance to see that one, but all the movies I've seen from her, I really, really enjoy. And I'm looking forward to this one as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Emily, what's, what's the, what's the Kelly Reichardt's catch up 
list here. Um, I, I know like people talked about certain women, her most recent film. Um, mm-hmm. but what, what, what do you think is like a good order of the films? I know you have, I don't think you said you've seen all of them, but what are the ones that really stuck out? I to have, you? um, I mean, I love them all, but I think it's real. that's a really hard question for me because I think first Cal, Wendy and Lucy and certain women are like my top three. And I, I wouldn't really be able to like order them any further than that. Um, but I think First Cow, honestly, is a pretty good introduction to who she is. And so if you haven't seen any of her other films, I, I, I think this is a fine way of getting into them. Um, and, you know, and then if you liked this one, Meek Cutoff is her other like frontier movie. But I think certain women has this feel of like looking at people in rural areas trying to survive and live their life. Um, but all of her movies definitely do um, look at people who are working class. And um, so any of them have that feel to them as well. All right. Uh, let's get into our grades. And I, you know, when I first saw this, I felt like I was a little bit more of a B. I liked it, but it is one of those films. Like the more I've thought about it, the more I've, I've really felt like, uh, yeah, there, there's something special here. So I'm kind of a low B plus. I really liked it. I not not my favorite film of the year, but it's definitely up there. Um, but Emily, this sounds like one of your favorite films of the year. I feel like you uh, every time I see you on Twitter, you are <laughs> you're just like you are you're there's cows everywhere. Um, yeah, like a pasture. I'm, yes, um, I love this movie. It's an A plus for me. I've seen it. I saw it at um, New York Film Festival last year, and I I think it definitely breathes well with thinking about it afterwards and then if you have the inclination to watch it again i think it's much more rewarding the second time or the third and the fourth in my uh, uh, my experience um but yeah a plus for me wow a plus from emily oh wow i don't know if we've had an a plus yet this year so that's great to hear um i don't remember if portrait got any a pluses uh, might have it better have <laughs> that's basically an a average so there you go yeah critics are really <laughs> liking this film as well uh it, it's really working for a lot of people and i, I definitely see why and uh, i hope you enjoy it as well will when you get a chance to see it it is available right now through a24 on video on demand and i think right now you can only buy it but i think by july 21st i want to say you should be able to rent it um yeah. but i say just go ahead and buy it i mean it's like 15 dollars um uh, I, I don't know if it's a blind buy for everyone. Maybe watch the trailer if you're not sure. I don't know. You People know how to make financial decisions. I'm not good at it. So that's first cow. All right. So we have two reviews left. Um, now, Emily, uh, Will and I have seen these last two. You haven't. Um, so we're going to go ahead and let you go so you can um, work on the latest Pulitzer Prize winning Film School Rejects article. <laughs> um, but thank you for coming on Cinemaholics. We hope we're going to get you on the main show again soon, I hope. Yeah, thanks for having me and letting me talk about First Cow on another media platform. <laughs> yes, you're making you're doing like the press tour for them, it seems, and uh, rightfully yeah. so. Yeah. <laughs> All right, see you, Emily. See you, Emily. Thanks, guys. All right, so let's get into a film that uh, uh, Will has seen. I have not. Sorry, Will. You there was a lot of reviews in a row. You've been very patient, uh, but it's time mm-hmm. to get it off your chest. The latest Werner Herzog film, which uh, I've definitely been very curious about, and I'm I'm very excited to hear what you have to say. This film is called Family Romance LLC. It's a dramatic film from Werner Herzog. It's uh, I think it premiered worldwide at last year's Cannes Film Festival, 
And mm-hmm. I might have played it a few other um, places as well. This is a sure. Japanese language film, and I think you can find it on Movie, the uh, streaming service that lets you access. Uh, I think it's like thirty different films, and like there's one taken out and one added every day. I want to say. I, I think so. I'm not as particularly well versed in what Movie is. This is the only movie I've seen on Movie, but um, yeah, I believe that's correct. I've heard a lot of ads about Movie on like other like film shows. It, it looks and stuff. really cool. And I think, yeah, I've always been interested in checking it out. I think the way it works is there's 30 films on at any given time and one film will be on there for at least a month. So you have like a month to see what you want to see. And then every day, like they add stuff and take stuff out, I guess. Yeah, how it works. I'm assuming. So if I have that wrong, I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't speak for that, but I, I do know at one point we were going to check out Emma for the show. And that was on movie. And we were like, oh, this seems really cool. We should check it out. And then we're like, it's not on movie anymore. So it's like, well, we missed our window on that, at least for when it was free. It may still be on there now. Yeah. I don't know. But um, I think that's the one where it's Emma with one M, right? That is correct. Yes. So um, I've heard that's like one of the best movies of the year. And that premiered on movie this year. But I haven't had a chance to see it. You haven't had a chance to see it. But that was at one point when we were going to try to see. But we missed our window. But. Um, I did get a chance to see this one when it was available for free uh, last Friday, the same day that Hamilton came out. So that was kind of a weird double feature. But um, yeah, this is like you said, the the newest Werner Herzog uh, narrative film. I guess more people may be familiar with his documentaries at this point. Um, like he's done like Encounters at the End of the World, Grizzly Man, Cave of Forgotten Dreams, um, as as well as like a fifth or more films. I've I've seen maybe yeah, I want to say about like ten. I don't know how many you've seen. It's kind of sad. Uh, I've probably seen around the same amount. It's kind of sad, though, that like most people in the world, just statistically speaking, probably only know him from The Mandalorian, which it's kind of upsetting. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think it's weird that like on the one hand, I do agree to an extent, but it's also like I've been talking to people and they're like, oh, yeah, Werner Herzog. I'm like, wait, how do you know who Werner Herzog Like people who aren't as like well versed in film. I mean, like I'm like, like there you go conversation starter that's an optimistic way to look at it and i do believe i i may be misquoted here but i believe the 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 paycheck he got for the mandalorian helped fund this movie so there you go there there's a silver lining to everything i mean i, I shouldn't yeah. say it like that i do really like the mandalorian so i haven't seen it i've heard it's good but um i have not watched it but anyway um what family romance llc is it's um so i i'm not as familiar with this but there's a company in japan where you can hire basically like actors or like professional like uh, thespians to basically pretend to be who you want them to be in personal relationships. So like if you need someone to be like your absentee father or like pretend to be you at work or like want to be like a friend that you haven't connected with in a while and you kind of want to like, you know, have like a test run or something, they hire people from this agency to basically um, pretend to be that individual person for a set period of time. And that's a really, I think, interesting concept for a movie, especially nowadays where we are seeing so much like this blending of like what is real and what is fake and like how are interpersonal relationships defined in a digital age where p- things are kind of like blurred and like connections are, are close, but they're distant at the same time. And I think that's an area that Herzog really likes to explore, like, our relationships to one another, usually with nature, but also in just a general sense. And this film, it's one of those movies where I don't think it really comes together in a way that like makes it super cohesive 
or that all the ideas fully get the flourish, but everything that's presented in this film is done in such an intriguing and thoughtful way, as you would expect from Herzog, that I think the experience is really worthwhile. Um, this is the first time I believe that he has also been the, uh, the cinematographer as well as the director of the film. So like there's this very kind of like digital handheld look to the film that it takes a little getting used to because it has like kind of like a cheap quality that you expect from like maybe like like a home movie or something. And that threw me off at first. And he but wrote it was, too, right? Yeah, yeah. He wrote it as well. Um, and I think he writes all of his movies uh, or at least co-writes them. I don't know if he's ever directed a film that he hasn't written, but I might be wrong on that. But yeah, this is the first time I believe he's actually been the DP as well. And um, that also also adds to the intimacy and the kind of like personal revelations of the film that um, is another aspect that has really been intriguing and thoughtful uh, as I think more about it. I think there's just as far as like the main storyline, which I haven't really addressed, which is like this guy pretending to be this 12 year old girl's father that has uh, left the picture like very early on in her life. Um, That story is introduced and then kind of dropped until like about the end. And that makes like a big thematic moment towards the end of the film, not really hit as hard as I think it ultimately would have in a better film. But in the middle of the film, there's so many ideas I presented through this agency and like through this concept that I think only Herza could really do in this way. And I think that makes it a more intriguing film than maybe like a more traditional filmmaker would have made it. So it's kind of like that given pool with what you can get from Herzog. I still think his documentaries tend to be better than his feature films with the exception of like the earlier ones, which I haven't seen like the wrath of God or um, Fitzcardo. But um, I would, I would yeah. call out um, burden of dreams is probably, yeah, that's true. Yeah. That that's but, uh, probably one of his more interesting documentaries. Uh, I think that's yeah. the early 1980s. Yeah. I was gonna say, if we're going to talk about documentaries, yeah, there's a bunch of them. I mean like low deer needs a fly is one. I really like lie. I talked about grizzly man, which I actually just saw for the first time a few weeks ago. Uh, and really enjoyed that. And that's probably his most famous film uh, as far probably, as his documentaries yeah. are concerned. Are concerned, But yeah, I mean, this one, is, I think it's done in a documentary style, but it's all fiction. And I think that's probably the best of both worlds for like his presentation where it has a documentary like cinema verte feel, but it is a narrative film at heart and it's exploring things in a thematic way. And, um, you know, I don't think it's like a best film from him. Like, I don't think it's like a like top tier, like one of his top 10 films, but it's one that, if, especially if you're a Herzog fan or if you're not as familiar with this work, I think it's a good one to seek out. And uh, if you have a movie or if you're thinking about game movie, I would definitely recommend it because it's one that I've been thinking about and really intrigued by uh, since I've seen it. And that's not something I can say for a lot of films that I've seen this year. So I'm going to give this a pretty low B just because, like I said, I don't think it fully comes together in a way that I, I think makes it a fully cohesive film. But there's so much in here that I valued and appreciated from Herzog and his style that uh, I would really be intrigued to see what you have to say about it. Cause I think you'd like it as well, as well as our listeners. So yeah, that's a pretty light, but warm B for me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that's interesting because yeah, just thinking back on definitely his documentaries, I think I've seen more of in the last, like the more recent ones. Uh, yeah, I don't think I've seen here. any of his fictional films since maybe invincible, which that was like almost 20 years ago. So yeah, I think, uh, for me, yeah, the Grizzly Man for sure, and Cave of Forgotten Dreams, a few others. Mm-hmm. I, I think, um, I didn't see Into the Inferno, but uh, that, that that's like that probably one. the most recent one. Not his most recent documentary, obviously, but the most recent one that was on my radar. Um, the the other few, I think, that have come out, I've just missed. 
lo and behold was one i was really intrigued by but i didn't get a chance to see that one but i know that was like a really yeah i think it was around the same time wasn't it yeah Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, that one had such an interesting premise too right because that was about like ai and the internet yeah technology uh, yeah so that'd be a good companion piece for this one i'm sure yeah um interesting yeah yeah. so um yeah because i know that like a lot of his movies have reoccurring themes and kind of different ideas that are explored in similar ways or vice versa similar ideas explored in different ways but um yeah i i think it's I, I, every film i've seen from him even the ones i'm not crazy about i've been like okay well at least that was intriguing like there's something there that's a little different i think the narrative film that's probably gotten the most notice or intrigue uh most recently is probably bad lieutenant Porter called new orleans which is probably like the most and least <laughs> herzog movie that's come out in the past like 10 or so years like i think it might be a little bit more accessible than some of his other ones but i don't think that's necessarily like his best film or one of his best films, but that one's a lot of I fun. I never, I didn't see that one. Yeah, that's Nicolas Cage, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, um, I, <laughs> I don't think I was uh, intrigued by the, the premise of that one, if I recall. But yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, if you if people only know Herzog from Mandalorian, I would definitely pursue his filmography. If not this film, then certainly his other ones, because, uh, you know, I, I think he makes a lot of interesting and intriguing films. So well, for sure, I would I would say, you know, if you're gonna watch bad a bad lieutenant, you probably watch the Able Ferrara one. <laughs> Well, oh, I think you can watch opinion. both, but yeah, I mean, I, I think there's some misconception where it's like, they're, they're basically, that one's more of like a reboot remake kind of thing. Like it's not, it's treated as a sequel, yeah. but it's not connected to any of the things in Abel's film. So I, I looked at it as sort of like almost like a spiritual ripoff. It seems I haven't seen the movie, so I'm not saying that disparagingly. Sure. I'm not tr- trying to judge it. Just that's what it yeah. looks like to me. I mean, I haven't seen the original bad Lieutenant, so I can't really speak to that one. Um, but I mean, I, I imagine, out. yeah, I heard it's good. I heard there's a lot of uh, a lot of pee in it, though, but that's the only thing I've really heard about the film as far as uh, besides Harvey Keitel's performance. But I'm sure there's more to it than that. But um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I definitely. Yeah. definitely. <laughs> um, I, I imagine it's really interesting <laughs> film to watch nowadays. Um, I don't know if, if if with the conversation being what it is right now, if, if that film yeah. is better or worse to watch now, but it'd be intriguing for sure. But um yeah, I mean, Herzog, I, I'm a big fan of his stuff. I wish I've seen more of his films, but um, this is one that I definitely really appreciated, and I'm glad I got a chance to see it through a movie. That is Family Romance, LLC. Yeah, I, I don't have movie, but uh, I, I've always been intrigued by it, and it's, it's looking like now that they're making their own stuff, or at least you know it's being marketed a little bit more, apparently, I am yeah. uh, definitely a lot closer to checking that one out. It's just I have so many streaming services as it is, but, uh, you know, I don't I definitely want to look into it. I will say, I mean, at the very least for you and our listeners, I think just keep an eye out on their stuff. Cause like I said, like they release stuff like this on f- for free for a short window of time. And so I've been definitely trying to keep an eye on like at the very least, like I, even though I haven't signed up for it, like I'm keeping an eye on, like, okay, what are they, what are they teasing out? Or what are they giving? And I think, you know, like stuff like this and yeah. Emma, I wish I had gotten a chance to see Emma, but um, you know, I mean, definitely, I mean, if you, at least if you don't have it, you know, keep an eye out for what they have. Cause I think everything they, they produce or, uh, put on their site is pretty, you know, intriguing from an artistic standpoint. So definitely one to seek out. Well, let's, uh, let's do our last review. We both have seen this movie. So we're saving, uh, one film that we've both seen. The only one, uh, only other one besides, uh, the old guard, I guess, uh, for last. And we're going to get into I it now. So, yeah. And this is, mm-hmm. I believe, um, it's not the first film from Carl Hunter. He's done a bunch of other things, but I think it's like, I don't know. It seems to be very different from his previous work. This is a guy better known for like short films, honestly. Um, he's also a musician. Um, but this is a new 
comedy drama that came out a couple of years ago. I think at one of the British film festivals. Uh, I think it was BFI, and it started to play some festivals last year. <laughs> Yeah, man. BFI London Film Festival. Yeah. No, oh, I know. you're I just, saying the it's, film itself. Yeah, yeah, fun. yeah it's, hilarious. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, I wasn't yeah. saying it was a gut busting joke, but I mean, yeah, it's a very, very yeah, British yeah. film. <laughs> no, no, good delivery, good delivery. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, when I watched this, I was like, man, I don't think I've seen a film this British since maybe Submarine or something. But uh, uh, the uh, screenwriter is Fink Contral Boyce, uh, who is another screenwriter. You might know some of his children fiction and collaborations with Danny Boyle and. Uh, so sometimes always never is kind of like, so you know how there have been movies like battleship where you take like a board game and you turn it into a movie, right? So like the Lego movie, um, or yeah. I don't know what's another Hasbro really game. game I'm, but... I'm like, I guess not, but like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, take a thing and make a movie about it. <laughs> yeah. A thing that, you know, from yeah. your childhood. I'll, I'll have to think of some examples. Yeah. This movie is that for Scrabble. But it's also like a very Wes Anderson-y British uh, Sundance movie. <laughs> or like it has like yeah. the style of like a quirky Sundance film. Yeah, it's not Clue. It's not Jumanji. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's going to be, the sequel will be called Trouble. Or, and yeah. then the <laughs> final film will be Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got the same joke there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so this film, uh, it stars Bill Nye as a guy who's obsessed with the board game Scrabble. And there's a lot of Scrabble in this movie, just be clear. And it just seems like this guy, he's so obsessed with Scrabble, he's willing to hustle people uh, for games of Scrabble in British motels. Uh, he sort of like drags along his uh, well-born son, played by Sam Riley. Uh, we've seen him in a, uh, what are some more recent things? I, I always think of him as the guy from On the Road. Um, the 2014 yeah. film. I was going to say, I mean, the one I think of him from is Control with the Ian Curtis doc or a uh, biopic. I mean, um, yeah, that was a big one that, for him. Yeah. One of his yeah. first roles, if I recall, I think, um, I think the most recent thing he's done was the Maleficent sequel, right? That's right. Yeah. So he's the crow character in that. I forgot. Um, and which he, he technically, that movie technically came out after sometimes always never. So, uh, yeah, he's been in other things. I think he was Mr. Darcy in that pride and prejudice zombies movie. Oh yeah. That, oh yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, a few things here and there. I, I'm not like super familiar with his other work besides that, but uh, he he plays the son here, and he, he's he's kind of a son character we've seen a lot, where he can, he has trouble putting up with his dad's quirky behavior. Uh, it's kind of about their relationship. It's also about uh, just this this very strange fantasy world in Britain where there's a lot of green screen uh, when you're driving in a car, it's kind of like you're in the set of game night where like, it's like a, or like uh, Mr. Rogers neighborhood, I guess is another comparison you can make where all of a sudden it's like a cartoon almost. Um, yeah. And I'm still struggling to understand what the point of this movie is, but I do know that I really liked it. Not in an enthusiastic way, but in a way where I was like, you know what? That scratched a niche for me. I think it's probably because I just really like Scrabble. Um, but what, what did you think of sometimes always never, I feel like I'm not doing a great job of describing the plot. I'm not sure how to honestly. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't know what to give away here. Cause like the thing about some, sometimes always never is that like, I went into this thinking like it was going to be hope gap too, like this kind of more like, like pedestrian kind of like downbeat drama piece. And like, like you said, the kind of more fantastical, like darkly comedic elements came into this, like. I guess the obvious comparison would be like something like Wes Anderson. Um, but 
Rich Aote, I think, may be a little bit more fitting since it's a British sensibility. Yeah, like that that started to infuse the story and the narrative and the style of the film. And I was like, oh, okay, um, not what I expected. Uh, but yeah, so it's basically there's a dysfunctional father and son relationship, uh, like you said, with Bill Nighy uh, and Sam Riley. And they uh, have had this trouble relationship since their uh, Sam's Riley's character's brother and then Bill Nighy's other son left the picture for reasons that aren't really specified until later on, if they are specified. Um, and this has fractured their relationship. Um, there's also, uh, the mother is no longer in the picture. And so like, they haven't really been able to connect on a emotional or, uh, personal level since then. Um, but they are somewhat close and that's what the film tends to follow is that he comes back into his life and he stays at their house and he connects with Sam Riley's family. And his only real connection with other people is playing Scrabble. But he like kind of plays it off like, oh, you know, I just like the game. But he's like a like fanatic about it to the point where he like knows like the best words to use, like uh, what different strategies are, like how you can optimally get get the most optimal points of the game and stuff like that uh, to the point where it's like almost like a science to him. And I think that intrigues uh, that that provides some intriguing scenes throughout. But it, it's it, that's like what you're saying. It's like this kind of weird like. Like, it's not really a comedy, but it's not a drama. And it's not really like a, like, heartwarming, uh, like, family piece. But it's not, like, yeah, it's not feel too good. sad. Yeah, but it's, not, it's, like, I guess bittersweet, I guess. Because it's not, like, it's not moody. It's not, like, downbeat. But it's not, like, uplifting. So it's, like, this kind of weird tonal mishmash of a bunch of different things. Which I think that's where the Wes Anderson comparisons are pretty easy because he's made films that are kind of like that. It's not just the symmetry stuff that I think Carl yeah. Hunter is clearly trying to emulate. Yeah. Like it's the also the thing. feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The production design and just, uh, yeah, I think I, I struggle a little bit with like what this film is trying to say and that's what interests me with it. Um, but I think like at its core, it's sort of about f- when you're estranged with your family and we use things like games to sort of connect with each other. And I think what the film's trying to do is it's trying to show that like, you know, even in like a a British family where people have all these grudges and dramas, um, just sitting down together and partaking in a fictional game is, is fun enough and you don't have to take it too seriously. And it's interesting in that sense, I guess, because like we see the Bill Nighy's character, you know, build up a stronger relationship with the son. And then we get a taste of like what it's like when the son brings a girlfriend over the grandson, I should say the grandson's girlfriend. And like, it's kind of showing how different family dynamics work. And there was something I felt that was kind of hitting about the way the son just can't seem to get over his issues with his father. And it's, it's nothing that's revelatory. It's nothing that's going to like blow you away, (laughs) but I I thought there was a sweet nature to it and it was kind of an honest nature to it. So I think that's probably why I'm clicking with it, even though I I'm struggling to put my words to why this thing made me happy. (laughs) I think maybe delight is a better word. I'm not sure. Yeah. I mean, there's a, a, I guess a sort of emotional sincerity to it. I I do think the presentation's kind of wobbly, as far as kind of balancing these different things where it's like the humor is kind of gentle, but there's like an edge to it that doesn't really make it like a feel good film. Like we said, like there's like the subject matter is somewhat depressing and uh, intense in a certain way that, you know, like it, it, it just produces a sort of weird film uh, in the sense that like, you don't really, like you said, know how to really describe it. I don't even know who I'd really recommend this to per se. 
but um scrabble players i mean i I think i think i I might be wrong about this but isn't the implication that the one son left because they argued about scrabble um well that's what the father thinks i mean it's kind of getting to spoilers so i wasn't gonna um uh, apologies i mean i don't i wouldn't consider that a huge spoiler because i don't think it's a ma- i mean it's not really like a twist is it i mean it's just sort of like i don't know i don't i mean it, I, I think it's fairly heavily implied that it's just like like he lynches or uh, what's the word latches on to um the idea that like scrabble was connected to the uh like disconnect or like the the, the leaving process but that was just like the circumstance. Like just so happened that they were playing Scrabble and then this very traumatic thing happened. And the father seems to like mentally keep connecting to the game to assume that that's what is like the source of it when it's really just like a kind of, uh, you know, just like a coincidental thing that they were doing at that time. And I think that's where more of like the Scrabble interaction thing comes in because like he keeps holding on to this thing thinking that that like by getting better at it or like kind of like figuring out like some hidden code in it that he's going to like figure out this piece of puzzle that's missing and the brother slash son is a little bit more practical and realistic and just acknowledges that uh you know like there's just something there that's just there's no like clean answer and and then i think the movie's kind of acknowledging you know the sort of like picturesque idea of like you know like your kind of traditional movie idea of like something that's kind of like complete or like kind of like picturesque mixed with this kind of harsher reality of the uh, Sam Riley's character. That's a little bit more grounded and realistic, but like in order to connect to his father, he has to have like that kind of like mindset in order to, or sort of like indulge him or kind of like keep him going. Cause you don't want to like tell someone that their son <laughs> is never going to like return probably. So it's, I think that's, that's what I kind of got out of the film more or less, but I think, I mean, the execution, damn, yeah. that was a really good explanation. <laughs> I think you really nailed it. I, I honestly, I think you took the words out of my mouth. I think that is what I'm trying to articulate is that tension and the way that conflating the game with family dynamics and like that, that I think is probably why I'm my, I'm hit with it is because of that connection between the way that taking a game seriously or the, the petty arguments we get to are always masking the true tension underneath. And I think that that's, that's probably something that like, it's subtle about this. Like it doesn't just come right out and say it, but it definitely like shows it to you enough times that you get it. So I think that's why I like the movie in general is because that I think it's effective in that message. And I think it's a good message, even though uh, I think wobbly is a good word. I think it is wobbly in a lot of the, a lot of the filmmaking. Um, I don't think this is a very confidently made film, but uh, it's confident in other ways. Uh, The performances for one thing. I mean, like I said, like it's a kind of discount style thing. Like it's obviously hearkening to like other movies and other filmmakers. So it doesn't really feel authentic to itself. But as I was saying before, like having seen so many movies on streaming services that don't really have style or like don't, they just kind of feel like TV movies, essentially. Like I admired this film for at least trying to be stylistic and have like a kind of quirky vision to it that, you know, it's not really true to itself, but at least is something that's interesting and kind of paints the movie in a different way than might have been presented if it was done more conventionally. So I, I think in that sense, that's what I liked about the film is that it was, even though it was uh, inconsistent and uneven in that sense, it, it did try to do something that was interesting and unique with the story that we might have already seen before in different ways. Um, so I, in the end, I, I don't think I'm quite as strong as you are on it, but I, I appreciate what it's doing. And I mean, any movie that gives Bill Nighy a chance to just do his thing is, is oh, always yeah. worthwhile. Yeah. We don't get to see him in enough. Um, yeah, I, I'm a very solid B on this. I think that I would love for this to be better. 
um, or to not be a slave into other films. That, that was the feeling I got in too many instances. That's why it doesn't really get above the B for me. But yeah, other than that, I don't have a lot of complaints with this. I think that it's just a very effective movie for what it is. And I think it's easy to recommend to somebody who just sort of likes these sort of like uh, low beat um, family dramas with a little bit of quirkiness to them. Um, uh, this is another kind of Sundance sort of feeling movie, even though I don't think it was yeah. ever at Sundance as far as I know. Right. <laughs> um, but I think, yeah, it's just, it's just nice to see something so idiosyncratic that it, it's really its own thing. And um, it's kind of like join the ranks of these like really small indie films about games. I guess puzzles, another one uh, that's it, yeah, I was it's not that assuming. That. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. Like puzzle It's just sort of like, it has a point about the way that we live our lives um, and how games sort of like can teach us uh, how to break out of certain patterns and stuff like that is interesting to me. So uh, I'm a B on sometimes always never. It may not be as incredible to me as never rarely sometimes always, but that's probably because it's just missing a couple words. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a, kind of low b minus on it like i'm sort of similar to where i was with hope gap in that i don't think it fully meets what it's trying to do but i think with this film like i said there's just enough here that intrigued me and i and kind of took me by surprise that um i was willing to you know kind of think about a little bit more and and take it on its own level uh even though i did find some stuff towards the beginning kind of annoying and irksome and it's you know kind of quirky uh you know sort of uh emulating sort of way so um yeah and i i I don't think i've really talked a lot about sam riley's performance we've talked about him as like his character and an actor but i really think he he's the key to this like a lot of people are going to champion uh bill nahi for understandable reasons but i I thought his performance and his kind of off kilter like chemistry in a weird way with um bill nahi was what made the movie work or what what endeared me to it overall so yeah, I think a fine like low B minus is where I stand on it for now. All right. Well, I agree with that uh, assessment of Sam Riley, and but I do disagree overall with your uh, your grade. That's fine. That's how it goes. Okay. Uh, yeah, we're pretty close. Yeah, we are close. I just, we shouldn't make it sound different. So I'm a B on the film. You were a B minus. Um, I'm definitely definitely recommending this, but definitely not to everybody. I don't think this is a film for everyone. Um, but I think if you're into it sort of thing, you will probably find it enjoyable enough. All right. That'll do it for this week's episode of Cinemaholics. Next week, uh, we have two main options we're considering. We're going to have to record the episode a little earlier than we usually would. And there aren't that many releases of note. So we're looking at possibly doing a drunk episode where we would talk about a couple of silly movies like Money Plane and Selfie Dad. Um, Again, Money Plane, Selfie Dad. I don't know about this, but uh, please let us know in the comments if you're interested in that sort of thing. We also want to at some point talk about Relic. Uh, Mm -hmm. We just haven't had a chance to see it yet. Uh, But we are that is on our list. I know we've had... We've had multiple yeah. chances. No, that. no, just the uh, the idea of doing doing an episode about Selfie Dad and then Money Plan and be like, oh, yeah. And well, let's talk about Relic, this very serious movie, horror movie. Um, yeah, there's also one that it's been on my radar for a while. If we're just going to talk about like kind of weird, bad movies, uh, not that Relic fits that category, but um, there's one called Assassin 33 AD that's been on my radar for a bit. If we're going to do a drunk episode, that might be fun to dive into, but that might be a little too much. Are a little too similar to Selfie Dad as far as like being a fairly religious movie, but um, you would know, I, not me. I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll put it up to the listeners. I mean, if any of those movies are like, tell me what John and Will have to say about this, uh, let us know because I'm, I'm down to see any of these. They, they all seem fun in their own ways. Yeah. Well, I'm curious if people want to hear us do a drunk review again. It's been a while. Um, yeah. And what, all that means, it's not that we're watching the movie drunk, we're talking about the movie right. drunk. Okay. Oh, yeah. We'll watch it sober. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll try to. No sure. All right. 
we'll see you all next week from the internet california i'm john agurney and for the internet pennsylvania i'm washington see you next time